Chapter Five of A Hazard of New Fortunes. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. His wife made no attempt to renew their talk before March went to his business in the morning, and they parted in dry offence. Their experience was that these things always came right of themselves at last, and they usually let them. He knew that she had really tried to consent to a thing that was repugnant to her, and in his heart he gave her more credit for the effort than he had allowed her openly. She knew that she had made it with the reservation he accused her of, and that he had a right to feel sore at what she could not help. But he left her to brood over his ingratitude, and she suffered him to go heavy and unfriended to meet the chances of the day. He said to himself that if she had assented cordially to the conditions of Fulkerson's offer, he would have had the courage to take all the other risks himself, and would have had the satisfaction of resigning his place. As it was, he must wait till he was removed, and he figured with bitter pleasure the pain she would feel when he came home some day and told her he had been supplanted after it was too late to close with Fulkerson. He found a letter on his desk from the secretary, dictated in typewriting, which briefly informed him that Mr. Hubble, the inspector of agencies, would be in Boston on Wednesday, and would call at his office during the forenoon. The letter was not different in tone from many that he had formerly received, but the visit announced was out of the usual order, and March believed he read his fate in it. During the eighteen years of his connection with it, first as a subordinate in the Boston office, and finally as its general agent there, he had seen a good many changes in the reciprocity. Presidents, vice-presidents, actuaries, and general agents had come and gone, but there had always seemed to be a recognition of his efficiency, or at least sufficiency, and there had never been any manner of trouble, no question of accounts, no apparent dissatisfaction with his management, until latterly, when there had begun to come from headquarters some suggestions of enterprise in certain ways, which gave him his first suspicions of his clerk Watkins's willingness to succeed him. They embodied some of Watkins's ideas. The things proposed seemed to march undignified and even vulgar. He had never thought himself wanting in energy, though probably he had left the business to take its own course in the old lines more than he realized. Things had always gone so smoothly that he had sometimes fancied a peculiar regard for him in the management, which he had the weakness to attribute to an appreciation of what he occasionally did in literature, though in saner moments he felt how impossible this was. Beyond a reference from Mr. Hubble to some piece of marches which had happened to beat his eye, no one in the management ever gave him a sign of consciousness that their service was adorned by an obscure literary man and Mr. Hubble himself had the effect of regarding the excursions of March's pen as a sort of joke and of winking at them, as he might have winked if once in a way he had found him a little the gayer for dining. March wore through the day gloomily, but he had it on his conscience not to show any resentment toward Watkins, whom he suspected of wishing to supplant him, and even of working to do so. Through his self-denial he reached a better mind concerning his wife. He determined not to make her suffer needlessly, if the worst came to the worst. She would suffer enough at the best, until the worst came he would spare her, and not say anything about the letter he had got. 
But when they met, her first glance divined that something had happened, and her first question frustrated his generous intention. He had to tell her about the letter. She would not allow that it had any significance, but she wished him to make an end of his anxieties, and forestall whatever it might portend by resigning his place at once. She said she was quite ready to go to New York. She had been thinking it all over, and now she really wanted to go. He answered soberly that he had thought it over too, and he did not wish to leave Boston, where he had lived so long, or try a new way of life if he could help it. He insisted that he was quite selfish in this. In their concessions their quarrel vanished. They agreed that whatever happened would be for the best, and the next day he went to his office fortified for any event. His destiny, if tragical, presented itself with an aspect which he might have found comic if it had been another's destiny. Mr. Hubble brought March's removal, softened in the guise of a promotion. The management at New York, it appeared, had acted upon a suggestion of Mr. Hubble's, and now authorized him to offer March the editorship of the monthly paper published in the interest of the company. His office would include the authorship of circulars and leaflets in behalf of life insurance, and would give play to the literary talent which Mr. Hubble had brought to the attention of the management. His salary would be nearly as much as at present, but the work would not take his whole time, and in a place like New York he could get a great deal of outside writing, which they would not object to his doing. Mr. Hubble seemed so sure of his acceptance of a place in every way congenial to a man of literary tastes, that March was afterwards sorry he dismissed the proposition with obvious irony, and had needlessly hurt Hubble's feelings. But Mrs. March had no such regrets. She was only afraid that he had not made his rejection contemptuous enough. And now, she said, telegraph Mr. Fulkerson, and we will go at once." "'I suppose I could still get Watkins's former place,' March suggested. "'Never,' she retorted. "'Telegraph instantly.' They were only afraid now that Fulkerson might have changed his mind, and they had a wretched day in which they heard nothing from him. It ended with his answering March's telegram in person. They were so glad of his coming, and so touched by his satisfaction with his bargain, that they laid all the facts of the case before him. He entered fully into March's sense of the joke latent in Mr. Hubble's proposition, and he tried to make Mrs. March believe that he shared her resentment of the indignity offered her husband. March made a show of willingness to release him in view of the changed situation, saying that he held him to nothing. Fulkerson laughed and asked him how soon he thought he could come on to New York. He refused to reopen the question of March's fitness with him. He said they had gone into that thoroughly, but he recurred to it with Mrs. March, and confirmed her belief in his good sense on all points. She had been from the first moment defiantly confident of her husband's ability, but till she had talked the matter over with Fulkerson she was secretly not sure of it, or at least she was not sure that March was not right in distrusting himself. When she clearly understood now what Fulkerson intended, she had no longer a doubt. He explained how the enterprise differed from others, and how he needed for its direction a man who combined general business experience and business ideas with a love for the thing and a natural aptness for it. 
he did not want a young man and yet he wanted youth its freshness its zest such as march would feel in a thing he could put his whole heart into he would not run in ruts like an old fellow who had got hackneyed he would not have any hobbies he would not have any friends or any enemies besides he would have to meet people and march was a man that people took to she knew that herself he had a kind of charm the editorial management was going to be kept in the background as far as the public was concerned the public was to suppose that the thing ran itself fulkerson did not care for a great literary reputation in his editor he implied that march had a very pretty little one at the same time the relations between the contributors and the management were to be much more intimate than usual fulkerson felt his personal disqualification for working the thing socially and he counted upon Mr. March for that. That was to say, he counted upon Mrs. March. She protested he must not count upon her, but it by no means disabled Fulkerson's judgment in her view that March really seemed more than anything else a fancy of his. He had been a fancy of hers, and the sort of affectionate respect with which Fulkerson spoke of him laid for ever some doubt she had of the fineness of Fulkerson's manners, and reconciled her to the graphic slanginess of his speech the affair was now irretrievable but she gave her approval to it as superbly as if it were submitted in its inception only mr fulkerson must not suppose that she should ever like new york she would not deceive him on that point she never should like it she did not conceal either that she did not like taking the children out of the friday afternoon class and she did not believe that tom would ever be reconciled to going to columbia she took courage from fulkerson's suggestion that it was possible for tom to come to harvard even from new york and she heaped him with questions concerning the domiciliation of the family in that city he tried to know something about the matter and he succeeded in seeming interested in points necessarily indifferent to him. End of chapter 5